So if you're new, you may have noticed that there's some people wearing pajamas today. It's Pajama Sunday. We only do this once a year, okay? And I've had some people like kind of mad at me, like, why aren't you in your pajamas today, Jerry? Well, I'm preaching today, okay? And here's the reality. If you had seen me like this, can you, would you take me serious like this? Those are my pajamas, okay? You, would, you wouldn't be able to hear a word coming out of my mouth. So you're welcome that I didn't put you through that. About five years or so ago, my brother, Matt, and uh, my sister-in-law, Andrea, they relocated from the rolling hills of southern Indiana to the powdery white sand beaches of Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. I'm a little jealous. I'm a little mad. I love them. I love hanging out with them. We miss not getting to see them as much as we want. But the good news about them moving there is it gives us a place to stay on a regular basis. And so we go down there regularly and we have a ball and we have made a lot of memories on the beach. But I would venture to say, if you ask my kids, hey, tell me about some of your greatest memories of traveling to Florida, they can give you some details about the beach, but they're going to tell you about a time we traveled to Florida. So here's a long story short, we were driving down and we knew that a tropical storm had hit. Okay, so we, we knew we were going to be racing it, but from a radar perspective, we should have been fine. Well, it shifted to the east more than anticipated while we were in Alabama on I-65. And I want you to know it was the worst white knuckle driving I have ever experienced. You couldn't see anything. We were driving like 30 miles an hour. Everyone had their emergency flashers on. The wind, we, I mean, the wind was blowing our mighty minivan all over the place. And you're probably thinking, well, why didn't you just pull over? Why didn't you stop? Well, we were looking at the radar. We were right on the edge. And we thought, if we just keep going, if we just keep going. Well, it was horrendous. I mean, we were praying. We were doing anything. We were like, God, please just get us through this. And here's the thing. We live to tell the tale, right? And so if you were to ask my kids, hey, tell me some memories on the beach that year, they would probably tell you some memories that came from other years. But if you were like, hey, tell me about the drive down, they're going to tell you about the time we all almost died in Alabama somewhere because of this tropical storm. Okay. Now memories, it's no secret that memories like that, they play a powerful part in how we are shaped and how we view the world uh, during our time on earth. And Christmas time is a time of powerful memories, right? And some of those memories are really, really good. And we love reliving those memories and telling stories about those memories every year. And that's a good thing. But Christmas time also brings with it some painful memories for us as well. Memories we wish that we could forget. Three Christmases ago, my mom went into the hospital with the pain in her side. And she had to spend Christmas in the hospital and we didn't think much of it at the time, but here was the bummer for her. She was in the hospital on Christmas Day, so she was missing out on Christmas in her home with my dad, all of her kids and in-laws, and her 15 grandchildren. It was the highlight of her year. But here's the thing we didn't realize. That was going to be her last Christmas on earth. And so we have some painful sad memories that accompany us that accompany us at Christmas now. But here's the thing, I know that it's just not my family. I know some of you right now are going through this first Christmas season and you're missing out on that loved one that's usually there with you. And there are painful, really sad memories that you're already starting. Or maybe for you, it's been from years past, you get this kind of pain. There's an empty seat at the dinner table. Or maybe it's just that the family dynamics are so broken. They're beyond repair. And there never have been any good memories. And here's what's true. No matter how many good memories you make, you can't really, you can't really shove out those bad memories. They're, they're always there. 
I mean, think about the people of Mayfield, Kentucky. Last weekend, this monster tornado comes through in the middle of the night and they wake up and everything is just gone. People are gone. Houses are gone. Homes are gone. And so every year during December, as they're getting all their Christmas stuff out, they're going to remember, oh man, remember the night that our lives changed forever. Why, why does it have to be like that? Why does life have to hurt that much? Especially this time of the year, a time that is meant to be a time of joy and celebration. Why does it have to be so difficult and so hard and so painful? And have you ever wondered, like, will, that, will there ever really be a day when that's not the reality? Well, scripture teaches us that yes, there will be a day. There will be a day when Jesus will return and he will heal everything. He will mend everything that's broken. But the reality is that right now, right now, you and I, we are living in a period of time where there is still brokenness and pain and heartache. And, and the, theologians refer to the time that we're living in right now as the time between times. Now, what, is, what does that mean? What is the time between times? Well, it's kind of like our journey to Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. That was our destination, but all the action happened on the way there. There was a lot of fun in the trip, but man, during that like one really intense two-hour period, it was scary, and we didn't know if we were going to make it. And so right now, you and I, we're living during this period of the time between the times. The time, the first time was when Jesus came as a helpless, vulnerable baby, and he grew up, he lived on this earth for 33 years when he was mercilessly killed and he died on a cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, to defeat Satan, to bring about God's kingdom here on earth. That's the first time. And now we're waiting for a time when he will return to make everything right to make everything new. And when he comes back this next time, it's not gonna be as a vulnerable baby or a mortal man. He will be the eternal king of kings. He will rule over all creations. He will make everything right once again. And that sounds great, doesn't it? Is there anybody that's not ready for that reality today? I mean, bring it on. I've talked to more people recently that are like, I am just ready for Jesus to get here. But here's the problem. In the time between the times, even though Satan has been defeated, sin and death are still very present in our world, which means things like pain and brokenness and COVID and cancer and even calories. We have to deal with the reality of that pain every day. Now, I want to be clear about something. The evil one, Satan, he's been defeated by Jesus. He was conquered at the cross, but he's still at work right now in the time between the times, sowing chaos in our lives. And even though he can't undo Jesus's victory at the cross, one of his primary objectives is to try to stomp out our hope and to rob us of any sense of joy. But what is joy? We hear, we sing songs about joy this time of the year. What is it? What does it, what does it mean? How would you define joy? Well, I asked Google this week, hey, Google, what's joy? And Google says that joy is an emotion of great delight that is caused by something exceptionally good. So joy is more than happiness, okay? Happiness is a warm, freshly baked cookie right out of the oven, right? Which means that joy is that same cookie with bacon on top. No, that's just more happiness, right? And I experienced moments of joy during the Colts game last night. And I couldn't, I was, I don't even know if I slept last night, but that's not joy. That's just happiness. 
I like how pastor and author John Mark Comer describes joy. He points out that joy isn't passive, it's active. Joy isn't something that we feel, it's something that we choose. He explains that joy is a deliberate decision that we must make. And true joy only comes when we learn to rejoice in who God is and what he has done for us through Jesus. And as it turns out, joy is at the heart of the first Christmas story. In the gospel account of Luke, right after Mary has given birth to Jesus, on that first Christmas night, almost 2,000 years ago, an angel appeared to some shepherds nearby. Here's the story. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And there were shepherds, now pay attention to this, living out in the fields. They were permanent campers, okay? They weren't glamping. They lived out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. I want you to repeat this phrase with me. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And then this was the message in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Good news that will cause great joy. Now, can we all agree? We live in a world right now that is in desperate need of some news, some good news that will cause great joy this Christmas. And as many of you know, we have been, as a church family, reading and studying through the entire Bible this year, from the very beginning to the very end. And this last week, our reading, pro, or our reading plan took us through a really tiny book that we're going to look at today. It's the book of Jude. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Jude right now. Now, Jude is a pretty fascinating book for a variety of reasons. It's the second to last book in the New Testament. But if you're flipping through, it'd be really easy to miss because it's one page long. It contains less than 500 words. So if you were to sit down and read it today, it would take you just a few minutes. But here's what's interesting about Jude. Jude is known for being the brother of James who wrote the, the letter of James in the New Testament. But here's the best part. Jude and James, if you didn't know this, this is fascinating. Jude and James are known for being the half-brothers of Jesus. Can you imagine having Jesus as your older brother? And when Jesus was on the earth, apparently Jude and James did not believe that he was the Messiah. They resisted that they, they could not believe it. So, which brings up a really good question. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? Maybe if he rose from the dead. And apparently when he rose from the dead, Jude and James were like, okay, we get it. And we also understand why you're mom's favorite. We're sorry. <laughs> we're sorry. But here's the thing. In, in Jude's short little letter, letter, he's writing followers of Jesus who actually had a lot in common with us because they had heard the stories. They knew that Jesus had been born. They had heard stories of his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But like many of us, or like all of us, they had not seen Jesus. They had heard the stories, but they never heard of his voice. They had never visually, physically laid eyes on him. And so just like us, they were living in the time between the times, and they were eagerly awaiting Jesus's return. But while they waited, guess what? Life was hard. And it was very difficult and very discouraging. And so Jude was writing them to remind them that true joy in this life, no matter what we face, can only be found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And in Jude's day, followers of Jesus were mistreated for lots of reasons. Jewish followers of Jesus were mistreated by the Romans just because they were Jewish for no other reason, totally discriminated. 
But then Jewish followers of Jesus were also discriminated by their fellow Jews and referred to as heretics because they were putting their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But then there were the non-Jewish followers of Jesus. They were persecuted as well. And on top of that, they had disagreements in their churches, which is why Paul and other New Testament writers wrote these letters of these churches saying, hey guys, don't forget what the main thing is. Keep Jesus the main thing. And so there were broken relationships in these early churches. And on top of that, they lived in a world that was filled with economic chaos and their culture had no moral compass. The dynamics of the family were falling apart. Divorces were commonplace. Orphans literally roamed the streets. And can you even imagine this? Sexuality had no boundaries. What a strange world they must have been living in. That sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? So we have a lot in common with these early followers of Jesus. But here's the part that you and I can't relate to, at least not yet. In Jude's day, it was commonplace for followers of Jesus to be forced out of their homes, to be scattered all over the world, and to be hunted down and killed for their faith. I can't even imagine that kind of existence. And Jude was aware of this because he was living in that time. It was his reality too. And so one of the things that makes his letter unique is he was writing to encourage followers of Jesus to persevere through the hardships of life, but he was also telling them, hey, be on your lookout against false teachers. False teachers who deny Jesus's authority as the son of God who doubt his redeeming work on the cross and who debate on whether or not Jesus is even worth following. So I want you to hear what Jude says to them in verses three and four. He says this, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So Jude doesn't waste any time calling it the way he sees it. And he issues a strong warning against anyone that would live in open rebellion against God. And we, they were living in a day and age where the the, the thing was, hey, you do you. You do whatever feels good, whatever feels right, whatever seems right, you do that. You do whatever makes you feel good. But in verse 11, Jude puts his foot down and he says, no, 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 woe. Woe to them. Woe to those who do their own thing. Woe to those who live in rebellion against God, who live selfishly and put themselves ahead of others. Woe to you who think that God doesn't see your sinful life You're only fooling yourself. Jude reminds his readers, look, God isn't blind to the sin in our world. And he's not gonna leave sin unpunished. And even though we're living in this time between the times while we're waiting for him to appear, he's not unaware. There will be a day when he will come to judge the living and the dead and he will make all things new and all things right. Now, I don't know if you know this, but historically speaking, that is not a very popular message. None of us respond well when someone says, hey, did you know that God really isn't pleased with this in your life or with that in your life? I mean, typically we resist those kinds of messages. But right about the time you think that Jude is getting ready to lay into everybody, he changes his tone in verses 17 through 22. He says this, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. 
they said to you, in the last times, in other words, before the end of the times, between the times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait. Would you say that with me? Keep yourselves. Okay, let's start over. Keep as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Jude is reminding followers of Jesus back then and now, stay grounded in the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's a hope that through faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven right now. It's a hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can experience a new life right now that can glorify God. But it's also a future hope that helps us live in the time between the times while we wait for Jesus to return. Jude knew that our hope in Jesus is our true source of joy. But isn't this where we tend to get stuck? I mean, if we were being honest with one another, if you're like me, you know the story, you've heard you, the little baby born in the manger, taken away to Egypt, comes back, lives in seclusion for 30 years, steps onto the scene, claiming to be the son of God. No one believes him. You, we know all the stories. We have all the information. We're not lacking any of the details the problem is, and I'm going to say this for myself, we're just not experiencing the joy. We have some happiness here and there, but not true, lasting joy. I like what Henry Nguyen says about this. He says, joy doesn't simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and to keep choosing joy every day. And I think this is what Jude was getting at no matter what we face, no matter how hard life gets, no matter what other people think, no matter what the diagnosis is, true, true joy can only be found in Jesus. Every moment of every day, we have to continue to choose to pursue joy that can only be found through faith in Jesus. So how can we experience that kind of joy? What are some simple things that we can do to recalibrate our life to head back in that direction? Well, the first one is really simple. You don't have to write this down. You know this. The first one is just to draw close to Jesus each day. Draw close to Jesus each day. John Mark Comer says this, the main source of our joy is proximity to God who is the most joyful being in the universe. Do you believe that God is the most joyful being in the universe? I do. And so if that is true, we would be wise to make time to sit and to be with him and to read his word, to gather together like this and to not just sing songs, but to worship him. And this seems so obvious. You would expect me as a pastor to say, you need to spend more time with Jesus. But it only seems obvious because it's the thing that we know that we all need. But I wanna confess this to you. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean it's easy. I get distracted. I have a hard time sitting and calming my mind. I oversleep. My kids need things and I, I intend to, and then I might go a day or two and I just haven't sat to be with God, okay? Can anybody else relate to that or is that just me? I think that's just life. But I wanna say this, if it's been a while since you've made time to sit and be with Jesus, he is not mad at you, okay? That's not how he rolls. That's not who he is. That's not why he came. 
But I also want you to know he, he is ready and he is waiting. And maybe you've been told, well, I got to do that first thing in the morning and it's got to be 15 minutes or more. Don't put rules around it. Just make time to be with him. I, I need to grow in this discipline. I started off so good last year. And I really, I want to get back to this. I don't, I want to get out of the rush of life and to sit and be and hear from Jesus. Listen to how C.S. Lewis describes this. Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you got to stand next to the fire. If you want to be wet, you got to get in the water. And then he says, if you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. Now think about this. He says, they are not a sort of prize which God could give if he chose. He could just hand them out to everybody. They're a great foundation of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray, the heat, the warmth, you'll feel it. But if you're not, you're not gonna feel it. So what's the bottom line? If Jesus is the true source of our joy, we have to make time to be with him. Think about every other relationship in your life that matters. It doesn't work unless there's time involved. He is not mad. Just draw near to him. Now, here's another simple thing that you can do. We need to manage our inputs. Now, Jude warned the people that he was writing to against false teachers. And we have to be on guard against people that misuse scripture, that, that they teach false things about Jesus. That is absolutely true. But I want you to think about the day and age that we live in. Think of it from a 2021 perspective. Think of media and social media and all the things that we willingly go to. We scroll through endless feeds of information that is untrue, wicked, impure, ugly, and disgusting. And we do it to ourselves. We are poisoning ourselves. John Mark Homer notes that our 24-7 digital news cycle fuels an economic model that we live in that is built to profit off of a built-in fear of predators on the horizon. We feed into that. We make ourselves afraid. And then you add to that this global pandemic that we're in that may never go away. And then you take any personal circumstance that you're experiencing and you mix all that together. And is it any wonder that there's fighting and skepticism and cynicism running rampant in our world today? But here's the thing, we choose it. We choose those feeds first thing in the morning. We check those feeds numerous times throughout the course of the day. And before we go to bed, oh, we should probably check the feed so we can be terrified when we go to bed at night, right? We are doing it to ourselves. And so can we just stop kidding ourselves? We're not managing social media. Social media, media in general, is out to control us. And that's not a good thing. It's ruining us as a people. It's making us cynical. It's making us combative. It's not making us more like Jesus. It's dragging us away from him. It's distracting us from finding true joy in him. And look, I realize we, we need phones, right? They're good things. 
We need to stay in touch with, with one another. That's not a bad thing, but we're also using them in media to literally poison ourselves, which is why managing our inputs begins by spending time with Jesus every day because he promised to be our good shepherd. And if he is our good shepherd and we are listening to his voice, guess what? He's gonna help us avoid pitfalls. He's gonna say, ah, why don't you put that down? Why don't you turn that off? Why don't you unsubscribe from that? And as our good shepherd, he's gonna help us create some boundaries that are going to help us with all sources of media so that we can experience true joy. So here's another thing that we can do. We can draw close to our church family. Now we say this all the time, but we are not meant to do life alone. Does anybody want to go back to quarantine? I've not heard one person say, that was awesome. We should do that every year, just for a few months. That'd be fun, right? A few weeks ago when we were studying through the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said, don't get out of the practice of meeting together. We need one another like this. We need to be in groups, smaller groups together. We're not meant to do life alone. And so Jude was riding those first followers to say, I know that you're meeting. Don't give up on that because it's your source of life. It's how we encourage one another. And you need that encouragement and I need that encouragement. And so in January, we're going to be launching some new groups. If you are not yet connected in a group, I, want, I would love to help you get connected to a group. And when you feel like, well, what's a group? A group is basically a smaller church that meets inside this larger church body. And they gather together to pray for one another, to care for one another, to worship together by studying God's word and sharing life and to live on mission together. And so if you're interested in joining a group, in a few weeks, we're going to promote those. But Kevin Russell is going to be at the blue tent in the lobby. Go find him and say, hey, tell me about groups. But here's another thing. We need people to step up and lead these groups. Okay, so we need your help in this. Now, let me tell you what we're gonna do next year also. We are going to, uh, just this year we've, gone, we've read through the whole Bible together. Well, next year we're gonna slow way down and we're gonna study through the Gospel of John for the majority of the year. So we're talking just a few verses each week. If you've been overwhelmed by several chapters, this is, we're talking a couple verses at a time. We're gonna read them, we're gonna study them, we're gonna pray through them, we're gonna worship through them on a Sunday then that's not like a great way to start the new year. So draw close to Jesus, manage your inputs and draw close to your church family. Uh, last week, last Sunday, actually, our family went down to Chris Crindle Mart. If you've never been, you, you gotta go, okay? You don't have to spend a penny. There's so much cool stuff to see. It's very festive. But when we got there, this is the first, one of the first things that, our, whoa, this is one of the first things our family saw. Check out the size of this pretzel. We got there, and this girl was eating one of these with her, with her mom. And my kids are like, Dad, we got to have one of those. I'm like, I know we do. Let's go find it right now. <laughs> Let's go find that pretzel. So we found out where they were. I want to tilt it forward just so you can see it, but I'm going to lose some salt here. So sorry. Um, so we found it. Two of my boys waited in line for way too long <laughs> while we walked around. But they got it. They bought it. They were so excited. But it, the temperature started to drop. And they're like, let's go eat this in the van. I'm like, yes, let's get out of here. But here's the best part. It was so worth it. It's not that the, test, the pretzel tastes all that great. It doesn't. It tastes like a normal pretzel. It fed six people, by the way, so it's pretty cool. I got to carry this to our van through a crowd of several hundred people, and this is what happened. Grown men were walking. They were like, oh my gosh, look at the size of that pretzel. Grown men. Kids were like, oh my, people of all ages and stages of life, they were drawn to this. They were like, oh. And, and that is what everybody said. Where did you get that? I heard people speaking in different languages, but I knew that they were talking about the pretzel. I kid you not. My son kept looking at me and we were laughing. He was like, this is hilarious. It was a little awkward. 
So if you wanna have fun, for $20, you can carry this through a crowd of a few hundred people and it will make your day. We have talked about it all week long. But why are people so hung up on a, on a, on a giant pretzel? Well, it's a mega pretzel, right? It's bigger than any pretzel they've ever seen. I wanna go back to the story in Luke chapter two. There were shepherds living out in fields nearby. And this was the message of the angel. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Fun fact that I learned. The Greek word for great joy here is actually the word mega. We're not talking about run-of-the-mill joy. We're not even talking about great joy. We're talking about mega joy. And mega joy is so irresistible that you can't help, but it just comes out of you. And so look what the, look what the shepherds did. Look, uh, go to verses 16 through 18. So the, they, they hurried off to find Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, just like the angel has said. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed. You know why they were amazed? Because the shepherds had mega joy. We live in the fields. We are poor, but the savior of the world has been born. You got to check this out. And everybody was losing their minds. But look at verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that had been heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Here is my point. If people freak out over a mega pretzel, which will give you a little bit of happiness, imagine what would happen if as followers of Jesus, we embraced the good news of great joy, of mega joy. And in spite of how we feel about politics or family dynamics or whatever's going on, what if we embrace the mega joy of the gospel in this Christmas, we let it change the way we relate to people. We let it change the way we live in our homes and on our streets and at work. It would be so irresistible that people would say, where'd you get that? I want that. But I want to remind you, joy isn't passive, it's active. It isn't just something we feel, it's something that we choose. It doesn't simply happen to us. We have to choose and keep choosing it every day. It should be the way we live as followers of Jesus. Genesis, let's embrace the story and the mega joy. And in spite of our circumstances, let's live out a life for Jesus that people say, tell me more, I'm starving. I need that kind of joy. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're missing out on that kind of joy. And, and granted, those of us that follow Jesus, we don't do the best job of putting it on display, but here's how you can receive that kind of joy. It begins by admitting, I have sinned and broken my relationship with God. And I, Jerry, will say, me too. But when you admit that you're a sinner and you put your trust in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, your sins are forgiven. Scripture says the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. You're adopted into God's family and you're given a brand new mission. And you get to live out a life of mega joy for the world to see. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I wanna invite you to find me after service today. Let's talk, let's go have coffee. Don't put it off though. You're missing out on the greatest gift ever. Let's pray. 
Holy Spirit, we need mega joy. You have brought mega joy through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Would you help us to embrace it and to live it out in spite of our circumstances? Would you help us in the same way that we talked about having faith with substance, would you help us to have joy that is evident? Joy that would draw people to you, joy that would allow us to get out of the way, joy that would cause us to be generous in ways that doesn't even make sense. That's the kind of joy we need. Holy Spirit, would you help us to find that joy? Would you help us to pursue that joy? Would you help us to cut ties with social media? Would you help us to draw close to you every day? Would you help us to embrace our church family and to do it all for the glory of your great name, Jesus? We love you. We celebrate you. We worship you and we praise you right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.